0: The names in today's podcast are a little dated. I used illustrations from the 2016 election when I preached this message. But there's one name who's still relevant today for the upcoming elections. He's the one to keep an eye on in the primaries. Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson.
1: Okay, so so that's the testimony of courage. That's his his first point, the testimony of courage, the message of sins, the sign. But the bigger question is, okay, I can see how courage is important. How do I get it? Uh, How can I become uh, less afraid? Because we all know that once you're afraid, you can't just tell yourself, stop being afraid, and then it goes away, right? That doesn't work. So how can you get courage when you lack it. And the answer to that is in verse 29. Actually, it starts in, in the end of verse 28, that last little phrase at the end of 28. He says, uh, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they'll be destroyed, you'll be saved, and that by God. And you might want to underline that little phrase. That's really key. And that by God. The, the word that uh, refers to the whole verse, not just salvation. The whole verse. Grammatically, it has to refer to the whole verse. So, So their destruction, your salvation, all of it comes from God. God is in control of the whole thing and everyone's destiny. When we start fearing man, fearing the government, we get all flustered about what's going on in politics, it's always because we forget this. It's because we haven't underlined that last little phrase. And it's easy to do. It's easy to forget. It's so easy for us to lose sight of God because we live in a naturalistic culture, don't we? A culture that just totally does not believe in in God um, is any kind of factor at all, and that that rubs off on us. So, let's look at our situation. Who are the who are the the major players in the political world right now? I mean, you got, you got President Obama and then you've got the Congress and the Supreme Court, you got the mainstream press. Uh, obviously right now the spotlight is really on the front runners in the primary process. Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, uh, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio. Are those the main players? No. No, those are the minor players. Those are the secondary figures in the background. Who are the major players? Two major players, God and His Church. They're the main players. You know the key figure to watch. That I you know, as I'm just analyzing this whole political situation right now and watching the news, and everything, you know the, the key figure. And I really think you should keep an eye on this one because because um, it's looking like I think he's going to really finish strong. Um, the key figure in this election is Almighty God. I really like his chances in 2016. What President Obama or Donald Trump or the voters on Super Tuesday or Hillary Clinton, whatever those characters do is of a little bit of importance. What really matters, what's of big importance and what, what's going to determine the direction of this country, what's going to determine what happens in your day-to-day life and, and your standard of living, all of that, what, what's going to determine that mainly is President Jesus, who is not a lame duck, he has no term limit, he's not limited by Congress or the courts or the voters, he's not affected in the slightest by opinion polls, he's not controlled by any special interest, he has plenty of funding, no one can stop his executive orders, he has full veto power over everything, including the courts, the Constitution itself, the whole voting public, everything. He has never made a policy mistake. He has never reversed his position. Never made a blunder of any kind. I'm telling you, keep a close eye on him on Super Tuesday. Watch what he does, because he is the president maker. He is the king of kings and the president of presidents. He has the endorsement of God the Father. And nothing will ever happen in this country without his permission, including the the suffering and persecution of his church. That's what Paul's trying to do with this last little phrase in verse 28. He wants to get our attention back on God. He reminds us that our fate, their fate, the whole thing rests in God's hands. You know, when you hear about that, that big guy in the bar, he gets hit in the face with a beer bottle and it doesn't even phase him and, and you, you just think, well, uh, I'm not that guy. I've, I'm, not, I'm not that strong I'm not stronger than my opponent. I can't stand with unflinching fear because my opponent's stronger than me. I don't have the strength. And that's exactly the point. Of course you don't have the strength. God does. That's the point. When when mighty Pharaoh had the upper hand on God's people and they were weak and forced into slavery and they cried out to God, what happened? God absolutely manhandles Pharaoh and all of the Egyptian gods with the plagues. They run away. He opens up the sea to give them an escape and then drowns all of Pharaoh's army. No problem for God. Then they arrive at the promised land and they saw the Canaanites, these huge people in Jericho and the city. And it's like, we look, we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes compared to them. And, uh, they agreed. <laughs> I mean, and, and what, what are a bunch of ex-slave desert people going to do against these warriors, you know? And, and God came, what did he do? He flattened those walls of Jericho and gave his people victory. And that happened again and again and again, all the way through the conquest. Every single time God's people trusted him, they won. They fought the Gibeonites, and they're running out of time. They're running out of daylight, and so they pray. And God just stops the sun, the sun in the sky for a whole extra day to give them the time they need to finish. On that, Joshua 10.15 says, Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. When Aram got the upper hand against Israel, God delivered his people through Othniel. When Moab got the upper hand, God sent Ehud. When the Canaanites got the upper hand, God delivered them through Deborah. When, when the Midianites got the upper hand, God called the weakest guy in the smallest clan of the smallest tribe uh, and, uh, and then pared down his army, sent almost everybody home, and then gave them victory. When the Ammonites got the upper hand, God sent Jephthah. When the Philistines got the upper hand, God raised up Samson. When a giant came along and defied the host of Israel and everyone was terrified, not even the mighty Saul would go up against him, God delivered Israel with a shepherd boy and a rock. When Nebuchadnezzar threatened to burn Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego alive in the fire, God let them throw them in the furnace, but then he protected them in there so they didn't so much as get smoke damage on their clothes. When they threw Daniel into the hungry lions, they they all got lockjaw. When Nebuchadnezzar, what is the height of his power? I mean, you want to talk about executive overreach? Way beyond anything our president does, anything our Congress does, courts, anything like that. He is seemingly unstoppable in his evil, total control, and God just took away his sanity. says, you're going to crawl around on all fours like a cow and eat grass. When they put Paul in prison in Philippi, God sent the most surgical earthquake ever. <laughs> it was like, broke the chains off of everybody's wrists. I don't know how an earthquake... That's, that's a special earthquake. When they put Peter in prison, God just sent an angel, sent him free. See, there's a reason why God picked up this nickname, Savior. Right? When the world tries to rise up against God and His people... It's no problem me. he laughs. Psalm 2, 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, on my holy hill. Therefore be warned, you rulers of the earth. Verse 12. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Just like we were singing earlier, Daniel 7. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power over all peoples and all peoples and nations and men of every language worshipped him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is our king. This is our leader. This is the one that promised to protect us. So what then shall we say in response to all this? If God is for us, who can be against us? can stand god is invincible so what are we afraid of what are we afraid of you know it it amazes me the hand-wringing that goes on in the church when there's some sign that there's a cultural shift away from us just like despair you know when it comes to persecution and all that we're we're living in one of the mildest safest most tolerant situations anywhere in the world for christians and yet there's so much fear. I mean, one election doesn't go our way, or one law gets passed, or a judge is confirmed, and we're just, it's like there's despair in the church. Is like, oh, no, HR, num- bill number, whatever, passed, and so-and-so won the election. It's over. God, I don't know if you saw Fox News tonight, but I'm here to tell you, it's over. You might as well just give up now. Not even you can recover from this, God. I mean, that's—I mean, nobody's going to actually say that, but that's the feeling that you get from the reactions that you sometimes see in the church. I wonder if God's keeping track of how many times His people said it's all over. See, for us to be caught up with fear because of the political maneuverings of this world, that's not a good testimony. You hear people say things like, oh, the idea of a Hillary Clinton presidency or Bernie Sanders presidency or Donald Trump presidency, it scares me to death. I think if Paul were here and he heard that, he would say, shame on you. None of those people should scare you in the slightest. What do you have to fear? We don't have anything to fear because all this
0: is from God.
1: He's in total control of
0: it. One of the things that prevents us from loving God more is shallow knowledge of him. The thing that increases love for a person is when you have experiences of the various good characteristics of that person. And that takes a lot of time spent with that person because people are complex. God is even more complex. If you reduce your knowledge of him down to just 10 or 12 attributes, God is infinite, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, And that's as far as your knowledge of God goes. Your love for him will be shallow. Your love for someone can't go any deeper than your knowledge of them and the experiences you have with them. It's not a good thing that books on the attributes of God focus only on the same dozen or so attributes all the time. Scripture gives us hundreds of attributes of God. Remember, an attribute is anything that's true about God. If you'd like a list of attributes that go beyond just the typical list, just pick any psalm, read it through, and jot down everything that psalm states or implies is true about God. So if it's Psalm 23, the list would be, God takes care of me like a shepherd cares for his sheep. That's an attribute. It's in his nature to feed me and tend to my needs and protect me and calm my fear and renew my soul. It's what He's like. He does these kinds of things for His people. The book of Psalms is the most densely packed section of Scripture with truths about what God is like. So today, when you listen to the news, for each news report you hear, no matter what it's about, ask yourself, what are some attributes of God that apply to this situation? And then spend a little time taking delight in those truths about God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you reign supreme over all nations, all governments, all politicians and bureaucrats and authorities, over all circumstances, the weather, the economy, the future. Thank you that I can live my life without fear and rest in the knowledge that you control all things and you are supremely good and you love me. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround you, Lord. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Fire goes out before you and consumes your foes on every side. Your lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before you the Lord of all the earth the heavens proclaim your righteousness and all the people see your glory all who worship false gods are put to shame those who boast in idols worship him all you gods the Saints hear and rejoice and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments O Lord For you, O Lord, are the Most High over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Let those who love you hate evil. For you guard the lives of your faithful ones and deliver us from the hand of the wicked. You shed your light upon us and your joy on the upright in heart. This is what you are like, Lord help me to have this concept of you in my heart rejoice in the lord you who are righteous and praise his holy name thank you for listening if you found today's episode edifying why not share it with a friend this season of the food for your soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of philippians 50 expository sermons covering every verse you can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com until next time rejoice in the lord always and set your mind on things above where christ is seated at the right hand of god